at First Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. Jesus said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Well, did you know that it is now officially wedding season? And I use the word officially, loosely, but it is October, as crazy as that is. And in the past five years or so, October has become the most popular month of the year to get married. According to my not very intense research, but also my own experience, in 2019, which was the last kind of normal fall that we had, here at First Lutheran, we had weddings in our sanctuary on three consecutive weekends with two more additional requests for those same dates. So, when couples start dreaming about planning their nuptials, June is out, and it's all about fall. And I was at a wedding last weekend, which is why I was not with all of you here, so how much more does my official, or how much more official does my research need to be? So I was just thinking about that, and that, you know, it being wedding season and all, maybe that's why I was just not ready for the topic that the Pharisees and Jesus take up in Mark chapter 10. And I was not excited to tackle it with you all this morning. But what's probably truer is that there is no good or pleasant time to talk about divorce, especially not the way the Pharisees and Jesus talk about divorce. But here we have in our scriptures these troubling verses assigned for our reading today, and so... I guess we better dig in. First, we should acknowledge that for many generations in our own society, these verses have been used against people. These verses have been misused, even by the church. They've been used to guilt people or to pressure them into staying in marriages that are really bad and abusive. Marriages that didn't honor the image of God in each person, covenants that were broken to bits 
well before the legal system ever formally acknowledged the dissolution of the Union. Whether intentionally or not, these verses of scripture have been used in such a way to marginalize or even further traumatize those who have been divorced. Today, I am not interested in doing any of those things because I cannot see that that was ever Jesus' intention when he responded to the Pharisees as he did. And because what I have seen in my life is that for people who are going through the grief and loss of ending a marriage, the last thing they need is judgment or condemnation. Very few people that I can imagine, and none that I have met, have entered into the covenant of marriage intending to break it off down the road. Those are not our intentions. And Jesus points out that the breaking up and the breaking apart of a marriage is certainly not God's intention either. In fact, it is God's intention that in marriage the two shall become one flesh, and what God has joined together would no one separate. That is a beautiful and wonderful intention. But as Jesus mentions here in our passage, right alongside those beautiful intentions, there is the real issue of our hardness of heart, the real issue of sin. Our human hearts are not quite like God's heart. Our ability to carry through perfectly on our intentions is not like God's ability to do the same. We are not able to be faithful to promises the way that God is able to be faithful to promises. Because we are human and we sin and we live in a broken world where there are many forces around us working not to develop our well-being, but to burden it. And out of well-intentioned marriages may come divorce. And then what are we to do as the body of Christ with our neighbors whose marriages have ended? I don't think that this particular Bible passage that we heard read gives us a very good sense of the answer to that question. So let's notice something from the very first line. It says the Pharisees have come to test Jesus. They would have been pleased to engage Jesus in this debate on a controversial topic so that at any misstep, Jesus' words could be used against him to prove that he was heretical or unlawful or worse. Their question was about wrangling the legal system and who could be crafty and clever their question was not about neighbors. So one thing I've been wondering in the last couple days is how might this passage have unfolded differently and how might Jesus have responded differently if the Pharisee had not asked him this question in general terms, but rather what if the Pharisees had put some, someone before him, like a real person who had a real story and a lived experience of a broken relationship a person whose marriage had come to an end, whether through their own sin or through circumstances beyond their control or some combination of both. And then what if those Pharisees had said, how should we respond to this divorce? How should we treat this person whose heart is hurting and whose life has taken an unexpected turn for the worse? Jesus, what should we do with this one? What do you think Jesus would have said then? I won't pretend to know what he would have said. God's wisdom is far beyond mine. 
But I am confident that whatever Jesus said, he would have said it with compassion. Not because Jesus didn't think marriage is important, because he did, and not because Jesus didn't support the honoring of the law of Moses, because he definitely did, the law of Moses and then some. But Jesus would have responded with compassion because that's how much Jesus loves people, more than he loved the law. It reminds me of a story that you can find in John's Gospel, the eighth chapter. It tells about how early one morning, a bunch of people started gathering around Jesus in the temple, and he was teaching them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees dragged before the crowd a woman who had been caught, it says, in the very act of adultery. And they said to Jesus, you know the law of Moses. Commands us to stone her. What do you say? And what could he say when the law of the people was so clear? This was a carefully laid trap. And eventually what Jesus did say was, well, let any among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And one by one they all slowly walked away, and Jesus said to her, has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The law condemned her. It was cut and dried, guilty and deserving of death. Jesus knew the law inside out, but when Jesus looked at that woman, who everybody knew was guilty, probably most of all, she herself, Jesus looked on that guilty woman and he offered mercy and grace instead. For those of us who carry guilt or shame or regret over broken or abandoned marriage vows, why would we imagine Jesus would do any differently for us? We, too, all of us are guilty of sin. All of us have fallen short of God's intentions for us, our lives, our relationships. And Jesus looks on us with love and compassion, the same way he did with that woman in John 8, and he says, Your sins are forgiven. Now you have a life in front of you. Go and live it well. So taking into consideration the whole canon of Scripture and all of Jesus' teachings and actions in the Gospels, I want to revisit that question I asked earlier. Looking beyond the general codifications of the law to the specific, what are we to do with our neighbors whose marriages have ended? Well, we are to love them, to treat them with the compassion that Jesus embodied. We are to proclaim to them that their sins have been forgiven. We are to walk with them as sisters and brothers until God can heal their pain and their broken hearts and provide a way forward into life that is abundant with joy and with love for their sake and for the sake of the community. And rather than banning divorced people from the table, as some Christian traditions have done, we need to invite them there so that the words of forgiveness land not just on their ears, but so that forgiveness and grace are placed in their hands, on their tongues, and into their bodies, so that God's healing work is begun and continued in them. When I first saw that Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 16, would be our gospel reading on 
This, the Sunday when we're celebrating First Communion, I thought, oh, great. Many of our kids will be coming to the table for the first time, not just today, but also on Wednesday. And for those receiving today, I imagined, you know, godparents and grandparents gathering for this joyous event, this faith milestone, and then sitting there listening to a sermon on divorce. But now I think, what a fortuitous pairing. Not necessarily for the First Communion kids. They really probably didn't need a sermon on divorce today. But for those of you who have experienced the devastation of divorce, for those of you who have supported friends or family members or neighbors through their own process of divorce, for those of you who have parents whom you both love dearly but who could not continue to love each other, and so you are a child of divorce, For those of you for whom this text and this teaching of Jesus touches something deep inside you and has you asking big questions and feeling big feelings or wondering if this is condemnation for you or for someone you love, I hope today on this First Communion Sunday you can look at these words of Jesus not through a lens of shame or guilt, but through the lens of bread and wine, body and blood, broken and shed, a whole feast of forgiveness and grace served up in abundance by our host and meal, Jesus Christ. And divorce is named specifically in today's reading, but it's certainly not the only part of the law that trips us up, not by a long shot. And so for those of you who are not divorced, whatever the rule or ethic or moral or law you've fallen short in upholding, here that Jesus loves you more than Jesus loves the law. There is grace for you, too. Jesus loves you. You sing it to yourself in the mirror whenever you need to remember that, or come and find me, and I'll tell you again. We are all guilty and sinful, but what is even truer still is that we are all beloved, and God chooses not to condemn but to redeem. God's mercy and forgiveness are for you and for all. Thanks be to God. Amen.